Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Romans 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Hopefully that's you and I this morning. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Father, we thank you for this passage on faith and on your promises, on on your faithfulness, your character. Father, help us to soak it in. Help us to see and hear your truth, who you are. Help us to see your glory. And Father, please increase our faith. I pray that you would grow our faith as you did Abraham's. Father, I pray that during times when there is not a lot of hope, that we look around and things seem hopeless, I pray, God, that you would enable us to, in hope, believe. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Please help us. Amen. So last week we start out in chapter 4, and verse 3 is a pivotal verse. It's in Galatians, it's in Genesis, it's all over the Scriptures. It's a very pivotal verse in our theology. And it says simply this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so we answered the question last week, how did Abraham, kind of this hero of, of Christianity, of Judaism, how did this guy become righteous? How did this guy become right with God, okay with God? How did he get into a right relationship with God? And the answer to that, Genesis, all the way through the New Testament is not by his his works, not by his circumcision, not by a religious ceremony, but rather he believed God. Okay, he he trusted, he depended upon God by faith, and then God put righteousness into his account. And so last week 
mainly we looked at this, this idea of faith, okay? So that's how Abraham was justified. If you're justified today, it's the only way it's going to happen. It's for you to, to be justified by faith, okay? And so last week we looked at, in general, it looked at faith. We, we, we had the definition of faith, believing that God is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. Now, what does that look like in, in the scriptures? Well, we looked at Matthew 8, the centurion. Remember the guy who's got a sick servant, and he comes to Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, you bet, let's go to your house. He's like, no, you don't need to go to my house. Just say the word, okay? It's, it's someone who says, God, when, when, I, when I am reading my Bible and you say the word, when, when you say the word about marriage, about, about trials, about, about anger, about forgiveness, about whatever you say, God, when you say the word, I'm like, okay, that's right. That's right, I'm in. I believe it. I, I'm, I, I am depending upon and trusting your word. It, it's good enough. When you say it, I'm in. Okay? What does faith look like? It is, is resting in God. Remember we looked at Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. He calls the disciples to get in the boat. They go across the sea. They're in the middle of the sea. He's asleep in the boat. The storm comes in. Uh, the, 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 the disciples panic. Okay, they wake him up. You don't care about us. What are you doing? And he said, why are you of so little faith? And in other words, why aren't you resting in me? I, I, I brought you on the boat. I'm with you here in the boat. You, your face should cause you not to be panicky, but to be resting, to be leaning, putting your weight upon me. We saw in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that faith treasures God. It says, God, you're worth it. Remember, if anyone's going to be a person of faith, he must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, faith says, God, you're worth it, man. You're, you're everything that I need. You, you are worth it. You are the treasure that I need. In you is, is what will satisfy my soul. That faith, that, that, that is, that's an expression of faith. And finally, we looked at Mark 5, 28, the lady who's had a, a, a flow of blood for 12 years. And you remember, what, remember her deal? Man, if I, if I can just touch him, I don't need to even talk to him. I don't, I don't need to interrupt him. If I, if I can just get to him, I'm so convinced that in him is everything that I need to make me right, to make me clean, that if I can just get to him, right? So it's, it's this conviction, this total confidence that in God is everything that I need. So that was kind of a, uh, we try to have a rounded, uh, kind of complete view of what faith is. This inner conviction we talked about, this inner conviction with skin on it, it expresses itself in our life. Okay, now, moving on to verses 13, our passage for today, 13 through 25, the rest of the chapter. What we find here is, is this promise made to Abraham in, in Romans 4, 13 and in 16, Abraham and us, that, that we, that Abraham and all of Abraham's offspring or descendants or those of, who share the faith of Abraham would inherit the world through faith. Okay, so let me read verse 13 to you. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to, here, here, we, here we come into the scriptures, to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who, here's how, here's how we're the offspring of Abraham, here's how, how, how we're sons of Abraham, who share the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, okay? 
So, so let's break that down, because this is really good stuff, actually. Man, I, I love this first part, all right? So the promise to Abraham, it, it, Paul sums it up. Remember all the promise to Abraham, Genesis 12? He says, you know, I'm going to give you land, you're going to be a nation, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless all those who, who, who bless you, and in you all the world is going to be blessed, in your family, in your offspring, okay? And so Paul sums that up and basically says, the promise to Abraham and to all those who are of, of Abraham's faith is you get the world. Okay, you, you inherit the world forever. I mean, that, that, that's the spirit of that. So let, let, me, let me show you some stuff here. So uh, in Genesis 12, he tells him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. Okay, all those verses. Genesis 13, uh, Abraham kind of gets to the edge of the land, and he and Lot go up on a uh, high mountain, and they're looking out, and then there's not room for him. And, and so he, Abraham says, Lot, you go ahead, pick what you want. I'll take the other. So Lot picks the, the Jordan Valley, the, the green you know, valley of Sod- Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham goes the other way. But, but after Lot leaves, here, here's, what, here's what God tells Abraham in Genesis 13, verse 15. He says, or let me read verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Look to the place where you are. North, south, east, west. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. Here's a cool word. Forever. Forever. Okay? Do you see how the promise is now stretching out beyond Abraham's lifetime? This is a bigger deal than that, okay? This is stretching to all, all those of faith all the way. You're going to have this forever, okay? Let me keep reading to you. Genesis 17. So Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham again. Uh, verse 1 says, when Abraham was 99 years old, uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abraham fell on his face, and, said, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall no longer be the father of a, you, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you, your name be called Abram, which means father of a multitude, but your name shall be called Abraham which means father of many nations, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. You see how this is going on and on and on, to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. In Genesis chapter 22, God continues to expand this, to just kind of blow Abraham away. Uh, 22, 17, we'll read that. He says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All right, and so, so Paul is, is taking those passages and, and he's condensing them and basically saying the promise to Abraham and his offspring who share the faith of Abraham is you get the world forever. You get the world forever. I don't know about you, but in your mind, is, are, are, are some of the passages in the New Testament ringing like, like uh, the Beatitudes where Jesus says, you know, for the meek shall inherit the earth, you know, and in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul is talking, and, he, and, and I can't remember exactly how that goes, but he, he says, you know, uh, how about Paul and Apollos and, and life and death and the world? It's all yours. It's all yours. It's yours in Christ. Okay? So, so it's all ours in Jesus. Now, now let me show you something cool. I, I don't want this to be confusing, but... 
man, I want you really to see the, the, the greatness of these promises, okay? So all the promises are to, to, to those who are of faith in Abraham, and really all the promises are to Jesus, okay? All the promises are to Jesus, and then all those who are connected to Jesus share what he has, all right? So in Galatians 3, let, let, me, let me read you this, Galatians three sixteen, Paul says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, Okay? It does not say, and to offsprings, I'm just reading the scriptures here, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Okay, And, and so as God is making these promises to Abraham, and, and, and all of it depends on him having a son, and that son having many nations of sons, Okay, and, and through those many nations there being one who would bring all this together. And that one is Jesus. Okay, he he is where all the promises come together. So here's a way to think about it. Jesus gets everything. Okay, he gets everything. I mean, that's coming, right? Every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess Jesus Christ is the Lord. I mean, he gets it all. He gets everyone, he gets everything. Okay, and and, and so if you're joined to Jesus, we're going to get here in Romans 8. Okay, in, in months or however long it takes us to get there. But in Romans 8, verse uh, 17, it says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, Jesus gets everything. And if you're joined to Jesus, then you get everything. Does that seem wrong to think about? Like, I, we're kind of wired, you know, don't be selfish, don't you, you know. But I, I, the Bible is telling you here, you get the world. Okay, if you got Christ, you have it all. Christ is going to have it all. If you're joined to him, you get everything. Everything your heart has ever desired that is good for you, that is pleasing, that is righteous, that is truly satisfying, you're going to get it all, okay, with Christ. Let's get a big picture here. So mankind has rebelled against God. All of mankind, chapter 1, has said, God, I want an answer in you. We don't want your glory. We want something else. We've all fallen into sin, death, condemnation, judgment, eternal wrath. But God makes this promise to Abraham. And in this promise to Abraham, he says, man, I'm going to give you it all, Abraham. I'm going to give you it all. Life, eternal, the world, all that is good. Abraham, you're gonna have you and your descendants, those who are of faith, not 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 so much your natural offspring, but 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 those who are of faith, who follow in, in your footsteps of faith, you're gonna get it all, and you're gonna get it all through that one descendant, Jesus, who's gonna get it all. And then if you're joined to him, you inherit the world. And so Paul says. This all comes about through faith. Let me read to verse 13 again. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would, he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay? So faith in God, trusting the character and the person of God, you inherit the world. Everything you could ever imagine, more than you could ever imagine, comes in Christ. Faith in Christ. Do you see, this is a little aside, but do you see how silly it is for us to be striving, you know, to ignore God, push him away, and spend our life scrapping to kind of get our little pile together, you know, and, and, and have a little more than the next guy? You know, and God's saying, no, man, I'm giving you the world, I'm giving you everything in Christ, just, just 
be committed to my son. Just trust him. And you inherit the world by faith. Now, I said just trust him. Okay, it's, it's kind of hard to trust sometimes, right? Let's, let's not, I don't want to. I don't want to give the wrong impression here because look at what we see about Abraham. Verse 18, okay? So, so Abraham believed God, but how, how did that happen? So here's kind of the process. Here's Abraham's journey of faith, all right? So verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So your offspring shall be. Now, what does that mean in hope he believed against hope? Okay, well, first of all, let's deal with the against hope, Okay. So hope is a confidence in the future, right? It's a, it's a confident expectation of good things to come. It is confidently looking ahead, looking around the corner, saying what's ahead for me is, is going to be good things. It's this conviction that, that what's coming is, is, is great things. But the, the evidence was so stacked against Abraham. You know, when, when, when God makes this promise, and, and all of the promise really depends upon him having a son, with Sarah, all right? But, but he looks around, and he's really got no earthly reason to believe that he's going to be the father of a multitude of descendants. You know? I mean, he looks at Sarah, 90 years old, by the end of the deal. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 20. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 30, or 40, or 50, or 60. She's 90, He's a hundred. All right, go to a thousand fertility doctors in Canaan, and all one thousand are going to tell you what? Hey, man, I got I got to speak the brutal truth to you. This is not going to happen. Okay, y'all y'all need to quit. You just you need to. This is not healthy for you. You're living delusional, Abraham. You need to snap out of it. You need to finish your life. You know, maybe adopt. You know. Uh, you know, invest in another way. But I'm telling you guys, I just because I'm your doctor, I gotta say, this is not gonna happen. Okay, believing that you and Sarah are gonna have a son is against hope. All the natural evidence leads toward you should not have confidence, Abraham. Diapers are not in your future. Don't paint the baby's room, don't buy a crib, don't pick a name. You're just hurting yourself. This is not gonna happen. It's against hope. And so what, what verse 18 is describing is situations in life that make faith really hard. That make it hard for you to say, something good is coming for me. Because what, looks, what it looks like all around you, it looks like, no, it's not coming for me. Times when it's hard to trust God. Think about, think about some of these. When the circumstances of life make it highly unlikely that we will receive the promise of God. Or when others tell us that God's promise is unrealistic or foolish, or here's the most common, not worth it. Not worth it. Why are you putting all your hope in this Jesus? You, know, you need to get what you can get now. Your pile is small. you got to work harder on your pile. Because that's all there is. That, that's what the world's going to say. Or how about when we slip into the error, error of feeling that we got to earn God's faithfulness to His promise. Well, I haven't been good enough. I, I, it's not happening because... You know, there's something wrong with me, and I didn't go to church last Sunday, and, you know, I haven't read my Bible like I should. When our flesh tells us, oh, this is what Abraham struggled with, we need to, we need to get it done another way. 
besides trusting God. We've we got to take it into our own hands. Oh, that's really hard. But, but here's the big one, right? When we must wait. 24 years waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing's happening. Okay, and so in verse 18, when, when it says, in hope he believed against hope, then, then you need to fill in, you know, times and circumstances when it is hard to trust. It's hard to believe, okay? But yet verse 18 says, in hope he believed, okay? And so Abraham had hope. I mean, Abraham, as, he, as he's sitting, meditating, thinking, he's, he's expecting, all right, God's going to do this. He said he was going to do this. He, he said it's coming for me. Abraham had hope. Now, guys, hope is incredibly powerful. Man, just this, this, it's a driving force to have something that you believe is up ahead for you. Man, when you don't have that, even in little small ways, man, I, I struggle with this. Not a lot, but certain seeds. I'll just be honest. The month of September is, was a kind of a despairing month for me. I, I don't usually struggle with that. But man, I struggled with it. And, and it was simply because of this. I could not see in, in any near future, like the pressure being off. Like, like it's just like it's like there's no light. You ever, you ever feel that way? Like I, I'm just like, okay, stretching out as far as I can see are things I know I can't do, but I'm expected to. And, and, and man, I, I got despaired. You know, there were a couple of times I, I had people praying for me. I was like, man, guys, pray for me. I, I know the right answer here, but I just, I have this sense of darkness kind of pressing down on me because I, there just doesn't seem to be anything ahead. It's just, it's all kind of bad ahead. Not bad, but just overwhelming. And, and hope is the thing that, that peels that back and says, God's going to do it. He's going to bring it. It's going to be okay. All right, and Abraham had that. But, but notice, notice verse 18, it says, in hope he believed. His only hope was his belief. His lone source of confidence in the future was the promise of God. He had nothing else, nothing else. No kind of flicker of, you know, Sarah being like, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling something, you know. Um, you know I, I, honey, I woke up today and I feel a little more vital, you know. I'm, I'm 80 or I'm, I'm 70, but, you know, I'm feeling a little frisky today. Yeah. I mean, he had none of that, you know. I went to the OBGYN and, you know, he said he took a sonogram. No, man, he, he had nothing but what God had said. His only reason to think that he would have a son. Is simply because God said that he was going to. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, the, the definition of faith includes the word hope. It says, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You see that? It's the assurance of things. Faith, faith is what says, yes, it's going to happen. This thing out in front of me that God has promised that is good. It's the conviction of things not seen. Now look at verse 19. 19 is a difficult verse. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Kind of continue on. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. All right, now... now I kind of struggle with that. You might struggle with that because, you know, what are you thinking of when you, when you hear 
Then verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he could say, okay, I'm thinking Ishmael, man, right? Hagar, you know, I know it was Sarah's idea, but, you know, he, he went along with it, you know? I mean, that's a big temptation, you know, he's 100 years old, and Sarah's like, hey, I've got a real, you know, young, hot servant girl here, you know? Maybe God meant this, you know? Yeah, he, he did. He believed, right? I mean, he, he fell. He, he struggled. And, and so when, when, you, when you're thinking about that, you're thinking, well, what do you mean he didn't weaken in faith? But, but look, look at the particular context, okay? So he did not weaken in faith when, okay, specifically, he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. In other words, the promise came to him, and all that was true. And still, he got up. And he moved his entire life to the promised land. And he waited for this promise. And he waited there until his death. Okay, in that sense, he did not weaken, did he? I mean, he, he, he made it. He made it to the end in spite of all kinds of adversity. Imagine the ridicule. How would you like to live your whole life and your name is father of a multitude? I grew up in the coffee shops with my grandpa and my dad, farmers. Man, that, that's a brutal environment, you know? You know, the guy comes in, sits down, has coffee. He leaves. What happens? Everybody makes jokes, right? Can you imagine? Hey, here comes Father of Multitude. Hey, Abram. They, you know, they probably said his name a certain way. Hey, Abram, Father of a Multitude. Hey, buddy. Now, how many kids you got? Zero. Ah. When's it happening? And then can you imagine later on, you know, when God changes his name? We read that passage a minute ago. No longer father of multitude. Now it's father of multitude of nations. They had to laugh. Can you imagine the strain on a marriage? Makes it a little more sensible why Sarah said, hey, maybe it's Hagar, right? She feels the pressure. No, no gal likes her husband to be made fun of. All the pressure. I'm supposed to be getting pregnant. I'm not pregnant. Whose fault is it? So when it says he didn't weaken in faith, here's what I want you to see. He stayed in the promised land, didn't he? He stayed. His life was spent in a posture of, of waiting. I, I like what Hebrews eleven fifteen says. This is cool. It says, uh, if they had been thinking, talking about Abraham and the patriarchs, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. See, they didn't return. They, he never stopped believing the promise of God even though he, he did have times of grappling with how is God going to do this. Here's, I guess, what I want to say about that. God does not seem to condemn struggling, straining faith. I, I think you need to hear that, right? I, I, when it says, I mean, Abraham, we know he, he, had, he struggled. How are you going to do this, God? When are you going to do this? I mean, after a couple decades of waiting, you know, and saying, well, maybe it's Eliezer. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe God meant this. But he never let go of, God, I'm, I'm looking to you. 
I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm really struggling here. But on the contrary, he actually grew strong in his faith. Look, look at verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, now a couple things here. First of all, faith can and should grow, okay? I was talking with some guys uh, at McDonald's this week about that. We were in a passage. Oh, we were in that passage where the man who uh, has a demon-possessed son, and, and uh, he says, you know, Jesus, if you can do anything, <laughs> you know, you, and Jesus says, if you can. You know, I love that. If you can. What do you mean, if you can, you know? And, and, and he says, all things are possible to the one who believes. You remember what that guy says? Classic line. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Remember that? I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, you know, is he, is he schizophrenic? What, what's going on there? You know, I believe, help my unbelief. What, what's going on there? He's saying, God, I've got some faith, but God, give me more. I mean, faith should grow. Jesus was always scolding the disciples for their little faith. Jesus was commending the centurion for his great faith. Jesus talked about faith as small as a mustard seed, okay? Faith should grow. And Abraham's faith grew we might not like this part, though. When it was tested. When it was tested. You know, the, the question, why, why 24 years? Why, why, why almost a quarter of a century? Why, why so impossible? Well, I, I, think, I think God tests our faith. And I think the testing of faith does good things in us. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found in result to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, instead of growing far from God, Abraham grew near to God. Instead of resentment against God, Abraham grew to love God. Instead of being convinced that following God was not profitable, Abraham became more and more convinced that God could be trusted. And in fact, through those 25 years of waiting on God's promise, living for God's promise, Abraham's faith grew. And it grew to the point that when he has a son, Isaac, in Genesis 22, and then God turns around and says, Okay, Abraham, you've got the son. Now, take him up to that mountain and give him back to me. Here's a question I want to ask you. Now, that's the World Series of Faith, is it not? I mean, here's the one son whom everything, everything for the world hangs on, and God just told me, go up there and give him back. Question, if God had done that in Genesis 13, could Abraham have done it, I wonder? You know, if, if the promise comes in 12, hey, you're going to have a son, father of many nations, you know, Abraham goes out nine months later, bam, he's got a baby boy. I wonder if, if then, if God would have said, okay, now take him to the mountain and kill him and give him back, sacrifice him to me. I'll give him back. I, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but it kind of seems to me that Abraham needed 25 years of trusting the Word of God and seeing God do the impossible for him to be able to make that walk up that mountain. Trusting. Remember what Hebrews 11 says? Trusting that, you know what? 
God can raise the dead. There's nothing impossible. I just saw, I just, 25 years, I saw him do the impossible. So even though it's ripping my heart out, God can do this too. He grew in faith. Look at verse 20. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. All right, that's really key, okay? So hold those two things up in your mind. He grew in his faith as he gave glory to God. Okay, now, the first thing to be pointed out here is that faith and giving glory to God go together, right? When you have faith, you magnify God's trustworthiness, right? Now, now again, remember Romans 1. I know we keep going back to this, but don't, don't, don't grow weary because we're going to go back to it the whole time, okay? All of Romans, we're going to be coming back here. Romans 1, what is the root of sin? Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, right? So what's, 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 at, the, what's at the root of our sin? At the root of our sin is we don't see that God's glorious. We don't see that he's strong. We don't see that he's everything we need. No, 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 God, I don't need you. I, I, need, I need my pile here. God, not, not you. You're not interesting. You're not, you can't handle this. You can't satisfy them. I've got to get my own pile. That's the root of sin. And so what does faith do? Faith says, yes, God, you are what I need. You can give me everything that I need. Faith is pleasing to God because it recognizes and embraces who God is. It says, God, you're trustworthy. God, you're good. You're, you're everything that, that, that I need. Not seeing or believing that God is who he is leads to sin. You see, faith says, God, you're enough for me. Unbelief says, God, I don't trust that you are what you say you are. Okay? So, faith brings glory to God. Okay, but let's go the other way with it. This is interesting, okay? So verse, let me read verse 20 again. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. All right, now, now going the other way, as you give glory to God, you get strong in your faith. True? As you give glory to God, so what, what is giving glory to God? We, hopefully we just did it here a few minutes ago, right? We, we, we sing to him. We say, God, this is who you are. God, this is what you do. God, these are your attributes. These are your characteristics. This is who you, we, God, you are this. You, you need to do that. Practically, you need to do that to fuel your faith. You know, as you look through Genesis, it's interesting. Let me show you some things. Okay, so right before God renews the promise, remember last week, Genesis 15, got to look up at the sky, look at the Milky Way, see all that? Okay, right before he did, gives that promise and, and, and demands faith of Abraham, you know what he does? He reveals himself. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is who I am. Okay? Happens again in uh, verse 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God the Almighty. Walk before me. Okay? And so, so God's always doing that. He's always revealing himself. Because we need to see that. We, we, need to, we need to strengthen our faith by giving glory to God. Look in verse 17 of our text here, okay? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Now, now who is this God? Look at this. This is, this is, this is gold, okay? Ready? Who's this God whom we believed? The one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. 
That's the God who we believe. We believe in the God who gives life to the dead. We believe in the God who has the power of life in his hands. All right? Let me ask you a question. What good is the power to make money or acquire land or have a family? What good is the power to topple nations or win battles? What good is the power to build industry or create pieces of art or literature or music if you're dead? None of it is any good. I mean, all of everything that we want is inside the context of life, okay? So you got this circle of the power to build industry, the power to have creativity, the power to have a family, the power for relationships, the power for, for wealth, and the power for all, all this stuff. Okay, but inside or around all of that is life, right? And who is the one who gives life? Who is the one who speaks life? Who is the one who creates life? It's God. Okay, and so isn't it interesting that before, before Paul talks about how Abraham believed in hope, he says, now remember who this God is, who Abraham believed. He's the one who gives life. Who gives everything you're searching for. He's the one who's able to quicken a dead heart with no affection for God and no desire for God and make it come alive and beat with resurrection power. That's who this God is. Okay, so first of all, who is he? He's the one who gives life to the dead. And then second of all, the one who calls into existence the things that do not exist. <laughs> do you see those two characteristics? He's the God who does impossible things. Who else calls into existence things that don't exist? Nobody does that but God. Okay, God, is, God does not need a certain set of conditions in order to make it happen. God does not need help. God does not need an opportunity. God does not need a window. God does not, he does not need anything. He has limitless power. He just speaks things into existence. He's the God of impossible things. Why is that in verse 17? That's in verse 17 because if you're going to have faith, you've you got to believe in that God. Okay, and so, so let's, let's go back to what we were talking about. So we were talking about how in verse 20, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Okay, so faith gives glory to God, but giving glory to God strengthens faith. And so I think what Paul is baiting us here with is you need to think much of God. Think often of God. Honestly, here, here's most of our problem. We think way too much of us. Like we think way too much about us. Like, we, we examine our strengths and our characteristics. You know, can I do this? Am I able? How do I match up with everybody else? How do I compare? I tell you, that's, that's all really worthless, okay? What you need to be doing is thinking much of God. What you need to be doing is, is setting your mind on and bragging on and singing about and telling people about and reminding yourself of the story of who He is and what He's done. And as you give glory to God, your faith will be strengthened now we're gonna have to go here our time's about up we're gonna we're gonna finish with communion but but look last word verse 23 and 24 but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him again who who is this guy who raised him from the dead jesus our lord was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification what paul ends there is a reminder that the same way that abraham Receive righteousness the same way that Abraham received the promise to inherit the world is the same way you will. And so now it's, it's on us to walk out of here and in hope, against hope, believe. Believe.